and we're going to come and shortly open up God's Word, and uh, Dan will be carrying on our series. We've been going through the book of Hebrews here in our evening service um, over the past couple of weeks. Um, so if you've got a Bible with you, or whether on a phone, or, or there's Bibles should be on your tables, then do turn to Hebrews chapter 3, and uh, we're going to read God's Word together. What a privilege it is to read God's words. So Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would, sp- what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As, it, as has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned? whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Let's pray before Dan comes and speaks. Heavenly Father, thank you for your words to us. We thank you that it is true, that it is living, that it is powerful to change our hearts and our lives. And Lord, we pray that you would do just that this evening, that you would change us uh, by your words. Lord, we pray for Dan as he speaks. Lord, I pray that you would use his words, that we would have receptive and open hearts, uh, that we would not harden our hearts to your message. Uh, But Lord, we would hear you speaking to us even now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Evening, everyone. It's good to see you all. 
Well, do keep your Bibles open in front of me, if you do, to Hebrews uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 19, as we go through that together. But let me see this evening if I can maybe bring back some memories. So you're walking along, and you're on the phone. You're walking along, you're on a chat, and all of a sudden, your phone drops on the rock-hard pavement. And you stand there. You don't touch the phone. You can't bear to see if the screen has broken. But all of a sudden, you, you manage to summon up the courage to turn the phone over, and there you have it. Your phone screen shattered to bits. Chipped. I wonder how many of us have been in that position. Maybe we've all been there, except this evening... I hadn't been there. And I'll be honest, I'll confess to you that I could never understand how people managed to get phones that resembled more of a snowflake than a smartphone. I never got it. I thought I would never do something like that. I am a responsible phone owner. I keep it in my hands. I don't let it outside. I don't let it drop. I couldn't get it. Until that is, the day that I was caught off guard. And it was just after I had finished the most delicious lemon ice cream. And I was walking back and I got into the car. And as I was getting in, the phone slipped out and splat on the rock hard pavement. I turned it over and there, like a snowflake, shattered two bits. The very thing that I never thought would happen to me, I said it would never happen to me, caught me off guard when I least expected it. And tonight, Hebrews has a similar message for us. If we heard when our passage was read out, and maybe we thought to ourselves, oh, <laughs> this is never going to apply to me. I can switch off for the next 20 minutes. I'll never get into this position. Then Hebrews will encourage us tonight to reconsider that. Because I need to hear tonight's message. I need to hear this message because my heart is prone to wander. I am prone to wander. My heart is prone to becoming hardened to God's word. Trust me when I say that. I need to hear this passage because I know my own heart. And Hebrews says that if a hard heart is left uncorrected, and as we'll see later on, if left unsupported, then we could follow in the very same pattern as others that we'll see that are recorded in the Bible. And as we go through our passage this evening, I've got two points that will hopefully help us get a flavor of our passage tonight. And the first point is this. If your confidence is in Jesus, don't let go. If your confidence is in Jesus, don't let go. But just as we begin, it's it's so important we do this. We need to remind ourselves who this letter of Hebrews is being written to. A group we think of mostly Jewish Christians 2,000 years ago, who the author of Hebrews believes are in the real danger of drifting away from following Jesus. They're, they're really considering 
packing it in. They were faithful, it seems, at the start. You know, when they started following Jesus, they were the first ones there at church. They were on fire. They were saying the right things. You should have heard their prayers. But now things are starting to slow down. And as time has gone on, as they face pressure from maybe their friends and their family that they have around them for following Jesus, friends and family who would have gone to the local synagogue with them, Friends and family who now hear about them following Jesus and start saying that following Jesus is not just wrong, it's sinful. And that's led them to being not just alienated, but outcast from society. They're outcasts now. No one wants to speak to them because they follow this Jesus. And now these Jewish Christians are left wondering questions that you and I would ask if we're in the same position. Have we got the right thing? Are we believing what is true? Are we on the right path here? Is following Jesus really worth it? You see, they're looking out at everyone else that they're seeing, their friends and their family, and they're looking at their lives, and they're in society, and they're saying, well, their lives look far easier than mine. Their lives are far happier even at points than mine. They're richer than me. The cost of following Jesus. And so the drifting begins to start, moving away from Jesus. And hopefully that helps us understand why the author of Hebrews writes what he does. And that's massively important to understand in our passage this evening in why the author of Hebrews writes about Moses, showing that Jesus is greater, verse 3, Do you see that? Then arguably the greatest and the most important person in the whole of the Old Testament. I mean, this is a massive statement that comes in Hebrews. And to understand just how big this statement is by Hebrews saying that Jesus is not just like Moses, but he's superior to Moses, we need to understand who Moses is. And let me read from Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 and 9, right at the start of our Bible, which records this account of Moses when they're in the wilderness. And the tent that we hear in this reading is basically the, the tabernacle. It's the, the sort of the movable temple that they had when they were in the wilderness. And it says this, Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. You can imagine it, can't you? Moses literally represented the people before God. In one sense, he was their priest It was all Moses. God spoke with Moses. Moses spoke God's word to the people, represented them before God. Everyone stood up and watched Moses as he represented them before God. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 34, it concludes Moses' life. And it says this about Moses. It says, since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all of those signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, 
to Pharaoh and all of his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Do we get a bit of an understanding into what a Jewish Christian would view Moses as? This is massive. There was no one like Moses. And to the Israelites, he is the defining person of the Old Testament scriptures alongside Abraham, the father of Israel. And Hebrews comes out saying that Jesus, the one who was from a backwater town in Nazareth, who was crucified shamefully as a criminal on a cross, is greater, not just like Moses, but greater than the greatest prophet to have ever lived. Why? Well, Hebrew says in verse 5, look with me. It says, Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ, Jesus, is faithful as the son over God's house. The writer doesn't deny that Moses was extraordinary. But Moses, at the end of the day, was just a servant of God. Jesus is the very son of God. And Hebrews is beginning to unpack a thread that will continue right the way through this book, that just as Moses represented the people before God and spoke God's word to them, Jesus now, the greater Moses, represents us before God and is the very word of God to us. Think through what this would have meant to those that this was written to, those Jewish Christians. They were constantly told that they got it wrong, that Jesus is a fraud. He's a deceiver. It is sinful to follow him. And yet Hebrew says, Jesus is the fulfillment of everything in the Bible. Not just that, but Hebrew says that Jesus is the one that Moses himself was pointing to. Do you know, I wonder if we resonate with that. Maybe we're in culture and we're constantly told that following Jesus is leading us down the wrong path. That actually we've got it wrong when it comes to Jesus. He's a deceiver. He's not who he says he is. Well, Hebrew says, when you follow Jesus, you are not in the wrong place. You have not misheard. You have not misunderstood. You are in the right place. It is what everything is pointing to. When you follow Jesus, you are not in the wrong place. You are in the right place. Jesus, he's the greater Moses. And Hebrew says that we're in his house. We're in Jesus' house, verse 6. House used to describe being a part of his people, his family, his household. Do you see verse 6? Do you see the condition? If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. You might notice that that phrase gets repeated in verse 14. How do you know that you belong to this Jesus? This one who is greater than Moses in every way? How do you know that you are a part of his people, a part of his household, part of his family? Hebrews says, if you hold firmly to our confidence and in the hope in which 
we glory. I don't know whether you've, you've ever been abseiling before, and maybe the thought of it absolutely terrifies you. Um, I was watching a program uh, over the last couple of weeks about these contestants that come and they get trained with ex-special forces. And they go through all of the training that the special forces go through. And they get to a point, obviously, where they have to do one of these tests. And it is to abseil down this huge cliff face in Scotland. Huge. And they have to go down holding onto this rope with this waterfall coming down, the wind sweeping in across, the waves are crashing in at the bottom. They've got to land on this craggy sort of rock face at the bottom with the sea pouring over them. As you can imagine, with the special forces, it wasn't easy. But do you know, when it comes to abseiling, I want to say that I think it is a great picture of what faith is in the Bible, of what this Hebrews holding firm to Christ looks like. Because when you're abseiling down, you let go of everything that will not hold you. You let go of it. You chuck it away. It is worthless to you at that point because it is not going to support you. You cling to the rope with both hands as hard as you can Because you place your confidence solely in the rope to hold you. That is what holding firmly to Christ is. is letting go of everything else that doesn't matter. That distracts us from God. And same with our lives. The only thing that I am ever confident in life is Christ. He is the only one who can hold me. And I place everything in him. I trust him. I trust who he is. I trust what he's done. And I trust what he will do. We say in effect, as abseiling does, I am all in. Both hands holding on. And the writer of Hebrews says that when we place that confidence in Christ, we belong to him. We're a part of his household. God's household. And I wonder, can we say that this evening? Is this what Jesus means to us? Is this how we look at our faith? Because you know what? So often I'm tempted to hold one hand onto one thing whilst remaining the other hand onto Jesus. And I try and do life with both. And Hebrews says that's not how it works with Jesus. It is both hands or no hands. We're all in or we're not in. If our confidence is in Jesus this evening, don't let go. But secondly, this evening, our final point is this. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. You see, there's another reason why the author of Hebrews brings Moses into this passage. Because the author then goes on to quote from Psalm 95. You might see it in your Bibles there. It's, it's poetry written out. And Psalm 95 is a psalm that speaks about the generation that followed Moses out of Egypt into the wilderness as they journeyed to the promised land. It was the generation that Moses led out. 
because there's something that the author of Hebrews wants us to learn from this Exodus generation. Because they were a generation that, if we think back, who experienced and saw amazing things. They experienced God's rescue from Egypt, didn't they? They witnessed God's hands of power, 10 plagues that God sent on the Egyptians. They saw the very waters of the Red Sea part in two, and they walked over on dry land. They saw and they knew God's provision each and every day with God's manna, bread provided for them with the tents. They saw their provision with quail. quail. They saw their provision with water from the rock. They saw it all. And what does the psalm say about this generation? Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. Verse 10, their hearts were always going astray. Verse 16, they heard and they rebelled. Can you believe that the generation that witnessed all of that end up hardening their hearts to such an extent that it led them to unbelief. They saw and they heard where God was taking them and they said no. Unbelief, it's not that they didn't believe that there was a God. They knew that there was a God. Unbelief in that they'd taken their hands off the rope, so to speak. They'd stopped becoming all in. They started to not trust that God would be faithful to them. They started to to not want where God was wanting to bring them. When God spoke to them, they didn't like it. They didn't want it. Their hearts became continually hardened by sin's deceitfulness. They looked at where God was taking them, and they looked back to Egypt where they were in slavery, and they thought, do you know what? It was easier when we were slaves in Egypt. We don't want to go where God is taking us, and they reject God's promises to them. And they forfeit the promised land. The point, Psalm 95 and Hebrews, if it can happen to that generation, it can happen to any generation. And the author wants us to look back and learn from this generation because at the end of our passage, we're left with this ultimate warning about where hardened hearts leads to, where unbelief eventually leads to. Verse 18 and 19, it says, And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. The wilderness generation, their hardening of heart, led to unbelief, which led to their rejection of God. Their rejection of wanting to go where God was wanting to lead them. And ultimately, they don't get to enter the land. They don't get in. And the author doesn't want the same pattern for us because just like we have a greater Moses that we believe in, we this evening have a greater promised land ahead of us. We have the eternal king, kingdom of glory that awaits, that Christ will one day bring. And our lives at the moment are a bit like that wilderness. 
And we're journeying through as we wait to arrive and to be brought into this promised land. And Hebrews is clear. We need to keep holding firmly to Christ right to the very end. Hold on to him. Don't let go. Don't look back. Look, fix your eyes, as it says at the start of our passage, on Jesus. Today, it says, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Hebrews says, look and see what happened to that generation. They hurt and they hardened their hearts. You know what? When I think about what a hard heart looks like, I was really helped by an illustration that that Josh mentioned to me when I, was, when I was younger. I think Josh heard it from his mum in New Zealand. And it went like this, to imagine our hearts uh, that have spikes dotted all around. And every time we hear God's word and we choose to reject it, we don't listen to it and we go our own way, that the spikes turn and we feel its pinch. We feel it, we're sensitive to it. We feel its pain. We're, we're aware. We, we awaken ourselves from it. We, it. we don't like it. We know that we've wronged. We've, we've gone away from God's words. We, we feel it. And yet every time we constantly do that, the spikes go round. And as they go round more frequently, as we continue not to listen to God's word and we go our own way more and more and more, the spikes keep turning. And as they turn in, they get blunter and blunter and blunter until we don't feel them at all. We become dull to it. They become unnoticeable to us. It just spins around without us noticing and we end up drifting far, far away. You see, a hard heart isn't necessarily an angry heart. It's not a fist up at God often. A hardened heart is often just a passive heart. A heart that's just got used to ignoring and rejecting God's word. And yet Hebrews says this evening, that is a dangerous place to be. It is a dangerous place to be. Look at the wilderness generation They started off hardening their hearts, not listening to God's word, and it led, and it led, and it led, and it led, and finally they said, you know what? I'm through with God. I don't want his promises. And maybe we resonate with that this evening. Maybe we resonate with that sense of hardening our hearts that actually we have come accustomed to not listening to God's word. The spikes are going round, but we're not feeling anything. We're living our own way, but it's not affecting us. God's word, we hear it, but we ignore it. We've got used to that. That has become our pattern and we're drifting and drifting and drifted. We've let go and we've started hard. We started clinging on to other things. And if that's us this evening, then the question we might be asking is, well, what do we do? What do we do? And not just those who are in that position, but all of us, because we realize Hebrews says that because we're all tempted to wander. What do we do? What is the antidote to our hardening of hearts? Well, Hebrews tells us, and I love the Bible. I love it. Because do you know what the antidote is? Look with me at verses 12 and 13. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Do you see the antidote? Do you see how we prevent ourselves from hardening our hearts? Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today. I love that phrase. Is it today? 
Start encouraging someone. And encouragement is not just saying really nice things to one another. Oh, you're great. Got great fashion sense. Love what you're wearing. I mean, sure, that's encouraging. But that's not the Bible sense of encouragement. Encouraging isn't often saying really nice things. Sometimes it's actually saying really hard things to one another. Hebrews is a book that's meant to encourage us. And yet it's saying really hard things. I read through Hebrews and I feel uncomfortable most of the time. We need to encourage one another. But how do we encourage one another? How do we do that daily? How can we do that? Because Hebrews is clear that encouragement does not just exist on Sunday. As long as it's called today, how can we do that? Well, let's start off. You know, next weekend... What an opportunity. Many of us will be going on the church weekends away. We get to spend more than just a Sunday with each other. It's going to be great. What an opportunity it is to maybe go up to someone and say, you know what, over that weekend, I'd love to sit down with you. I'd love to go on a walk around the grounds with you. I'd love to have a round of golf where we can talk about these things, where we can talk about life, the things that we're finding hard, where we can pray for one another. Why don't we be proactive and seek that out? Ask someone even before or catch someone during the weekend. Do you know, maybe it is that we don't meet with anyone. We don't have anyone that can encourage us. And to be honest with you, sitting down for a skinny latte in a coffee shop isn't really your style. But we need to be meeting with other Christians. We need to meet up with someone, one-to-one, get in a group, get in a small group, whatever it is. Find someone that you can chat these things through, that you can both say we are here to encourage one another. And go together, I don't care if it's in a kebab shop, in a coffee shop, wherever it is, encourage one another. Hebrews is serious about that. And in order to encourage one another, let's, there's a need to be honest with one another, isn't there? And that doesn't come easy. That is uncomfortable. We can just about manage with, how are you? And you know, isn't the weather really rubbish at the moment? And the football scores over the weekend. That's our level of conversation. We can just about get through that. But to ask someone how they're doing spiritually, that feels uncomfortable, doesn't it? That's hard to do. But as a church, Hebrews is saying we need to break that pain barrier and we need to start seriously encouraging one another, knowing the ways in which we struggle, sharing the things that we find hard, sharing the ways that we can be praying for one another during the week. Hebrews is serious about that because we need encouragement. And it takes time. It's hard. It takes a huge amount of investment. But Hebrews says it's the way that we will keep our hearts soft and looking to Jesus. If we want other ideas, I know one person who sets a reminder on their phone each day. And when the reminder goes, they send a text to someone who just pops into their head. And they send them a Bible verse or a message that says, how can I be praying for you? If you're not in a small group, join a small group. What a place for encouragement that is. Young people, maybe a few of you go to the same school. And actually you go, you know what, it's really hard to be a follower of Jesus in school. And so you go, you know what, actually let's meet up one lunchtime in this part of the, the school. And we meet up for like 15 minutes and we read a bit of the Bible together and we encourage each other to follow Jesus. Because one of the first signs, and I've seen this so many times, the first sign of a hard heart 
is withdrawing from those around. I know that even myself, we move away from other Christians when we're not feeling spiritually up for it, when we're drifting away. Christians are like coals on a fire. We need to be with each other. The minute we draw ourselves away, we get cold. And so if we're here this evening, maybe we're a Christian. But in one sense this evening, we've begun, we recognize that we've hardened our hearts. Maybe we're not a Christian here this evening. In which case, so glad that you are here. And the news tonight is there is a God who opens his arms and has not rejected you. A God that loves you immeasurably and has come down in the person of Jesus, the greater Moses, to give his life for you so that all of our wrongs could be dealt with, washed away forever. And so that we might live in his name. Jesus says, anyone who comes to me, I will never turn away. If your heart is hard, there is hope. Jesus stands with his arms open. Anyone who comes to me, he says, I will never turn away. Today, tonight, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we recognize this evening the temptation to harden our hearts to your voice. We recognize and we see that throughout the Bible there have been many who have done that. And Lord Jesus, we want to be those that encourage one another daily to keep walking with you, to hold firmly to the confidence that we have, the hope that we have, the glory that we have awaiting us in our promised land. And Lord, we recognize that the wilderness is a tough place to be at the moment. Life is tough. It is full of distractions and we're tempted to let go so often. But Lord Jesus, keep us. Strengthen us and remind us of your greatness and your glory and your love for us. We ask this in your name. Amen.